Welcome to the Staying Connected podcast, the preaching ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose, Colorado. I am Pastor Roland Kennison, and I want to thank you for listening. Rosemont Baptist Mission is passionately bringing people face-to-face with the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. It's our prayer that through this podcast, you will hear our passion for the gospel and people's need to hear it, and that you will truly experience the transformation that only Jesus Christ can bring. Today, we're going to continue our series in the gospel of Matthew. I pray you find the following sermon encouraging and challenging and will build you up in the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. And one more thing before we begin. If any of the sermons in our podcast have been helpful to you, would you please let us know? It would be a great help and blessing to us to know that this ministry is being used by God in your life and ministry. Would you tell us where you're located and specifically how this ministry has helped you? We greatly anticipate hearing from you. You can simply send me an email at pastor at rosemontbaptist.org. Now, Let's begin our time today. We're going to be shifting gears from our previous sermons. We're going to be in the book of Matthew. Um, You might remember that we have made our way through Matthew a certain amount of space, and today we're going to continue that in Matthew chapter 12. And so turn to Matthew 12. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, and... um, If you can turn to chapter 12, we'll read the first eight verses, and that'll be our passage this morning. So Matthew 12, verses 1 through 8, it says, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look! Your disciples do what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry, he and his companions? How he entered the house of God and they ate consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to eat, nor those with him, but for the priests alone? Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests and the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? But I say to you, something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice, you would have condemned, you would have not condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Let me pray this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your your word. I thank you that we have a Savior who is greater than the temple, who brings salvation. And God, teach us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, there, there was a policeman who pulled over a car who did not stop at a stop sign. He slowed down and went through. Policeman saw him, pulled him over, and he says, do you know what I pulled you, to, pulled you over for? He says, no, I don't know. He says, you didn't stop at the stop sign. And the guy says, well, I slowed down. 
And the policeman said, but that's, that's not stopping. And the policeman said, or the, the, the man in the car started getting belligerent. He said, slowing down, stopping, what's the difference? The policeman took out his baton and says, well, I'll show you the difference. I'm going to start hitting you with this, and you tell me if you want me to stop or slow down, right? <laughs> Laws mean something, right? And they say that rules are meant to be broken, laws are meant to be broken, but that's simply, simply not the case. Could you imagine what it would be like living in Montrose without any laws? No traffic laws, no trespassing laws, no, no stealing laws. I know it sounds like Portland, but that's not what I'm saying, right? What I'm saying is that our, the laws in our city, in our state, in our country, they are for our good. The, the law's purpose is to restrain evil and to commend good behavior. And the law of God has been given to his people for a similar purpose. The law was given, the law of God was given to show God's complete and utter holiness and our inability to reach it. We can't get there. And that's what the law was given. It showed us we need a Savior. And that's what this passage is about today. Now, we've been, we have been studying Matthew for a couple years on and off. Um, and, and I hope you might remember that Matthew's main theme throughout his whole book is to show that Jesus is the Messiah the Jewish people are looking for. They are waiting for a Messiah, and Matthew is proving the point. Matthew quotes over and over again the Old Testament, and this was done so that this verse in the Old Testament will be fulfilled. He doesn't say it exactly like that, but that's what he's getting at. That Jesus is the Messiah the Jewish people are looking for. And when we're, where we're at in our study in Matthew is that there, there's this real structure about it. In, in Matthew 10, he, he reminded his disciples what it means to be a disciple, how, um, how they should be ministering, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And then in chapter 11 and 12, we have three sections that have three stories each. And in each of those sections, we have two stories of unbelief, and one story of belief. Chapter 11 completed one of those sections. We're starting the second section today in Matthew 12, a story of unbelief. And the unbelief is this, the Pharisees don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. The Pharisees do not believe Jesus was who he said he was. And so that's why this section starts with the accusation. There's an accusation, and the accusation is this, Jesus didn't rest. It's the Sabbath, and he's not resting. Look in verses 1 and 2 again. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. It almost sounds like an innocuous accusation. They broke the Sabbath. But the Sabbath was incredibly 
important to Israel. They were saying Jesus was a Sabbath breaker. He was a covenant breaker. He was someone who did not place faith in what the word of God said. He is breaking covenant with God. And if he's doing that, then there is no way he could be the Messiah. The Sabbath was something, really is something we really need to understand. And the study of the Sabbath is really interesting and long. I did this little handout that will kind of show you the, the, the track of the Sabbath. It's homework for you to do later. Don't start looking up these verses now, please. Um, but uh, it shows you how important the Sabbath is. And, and I, was, I started my sermon, and the study got longer and longer, and I thought, I can't do this and what I'm supposed to be doing. So I just I said, you guys do this. Here's the, here's the work, and you guys go look that up. Um, but it's very interesting. But I'm going to try to condense that study right here kind of briefly. So we start at the very, very beginning. God created everything with the spoken word. He, he said on day one, let there be light. He separated light from darkness. Day two, he separated the waters below from the waters above. Day three, he took the waters below and separated them and made land and, water, and, and separ, you know, separated the water and then made vegetation grow on the land. On day four, he filled the light and darkness with the sun, moon, and stars. On day five, he filled the water with, with fish and the sky with birds. And on day six, he filled the land with beasts and, and crawling things. And then at day six, he created the crown jewel of his creation. He created man. It says, in the image of God, he created them. Man and woman, he created them in his image. Everything that was made that you see, everything that you, was made that you don't see, everything physical, everything spiritual, was made in six days. And on the seventh day, God rested. Because he was just so tired, right? <laughs> God doesn't get tired. God didn't need a rest, but guess what? We do. God created, so to speak, a Sabbath. He set apart the seventh day. He sanctified it. He set it apart for his use. Now, the Sabbath then, the first time we see it observed, really, in Scripture, is when the people of God come out of Egypt, which is hundreds of years if not thousands, after God created the Sabbath. But they are coming out of Egypt, and they're in the wilderness, and God gives them manna to eat. I'm hungry, we need something, and he provides miraculously this stuff. The, the word manna means, what is it? <laughs> that's, that's what the word means. They don't know what it is, but it's food from God, and every day they're to come out and gather just enough for one day, except on the Sabbath, I mean, the day before the Sabbath. God said, get enough for one day, and people were like, well, I'm going to need some tomorrow, so I'm going to gather enough for two days, but it would not last two days until the sixth day, where they gathered it up again, 
And they said, I'm not supposed to gather on the Sabbath. I hope this stuff lasts two days. And miraculously, it would. Because God said, I don't want you to work on the Sabbath of gathering that up. So it was an act of faith, right? You knew six days, i got to get enough food for this day, and it will not last tomorrow. And then the sixth day, it had to last till tomorrow. But you know this stuff doesn't last two days, except God said it would. The Sabbath was accepting God at his word. It was a life of faith. The Sabbath became instituted as law at Sinai. God shows up at Sinai. Moses is up on the mountain and he provides them the law. And the fourth commandment, he says, keep the Sabbath day holy. It's an important part of the law. In fact, it's so important that when you read some of these passages, you'll find that if someone did not keep the Sabbath, they were to be put to death. The Sabbath was important. It was an important thing to the people of God. Participating in the Sabbath on a weekly basis was a weekly reminder that the God that Israel served was the God who created everything. Because he rested on the seventh day, I'm going to rest on the seventh day. It was a reminder that what God said goes It was a sign that set them apart. The Sabbath was a sign that set them apart from the rest of the world. Participating in the Sabbath was a sign that Israel was in covenant with God. Circumcision was a personal mark that showed a man was in covenant with the Lord. Sabbath was a public mark that showed the people of God were in covenant with God. It's an important mark. It's an important thing. And the Sabbath wasn't just only a weekly observance. God said that it's not only people and animals that need to rest, the land needs to rest. So once every seven years, I want you to not plant the land. Now, Now, this becomes a real act of faith because if all the food you get is from the harvest of that year, then the sixth year, you have enough, you got to get enough harvest to last the seventh year and then to plant the eighth year and wait for the harvest of the ninth year, right? There had to be some faith in letting the land rest. And God said, I want that to happen. And then there's the years of jubilee that every, seven, or every 50 years would be the jubilee year where, where everything would be at rest again. And it just simply took faith that God would provide and care for them on the Sabbath. But Israel broke the Sabbath. They regularly broke the Sabbath. They were not resting on the Sabbath day. They did, not the land, they did not let the land rest on the Sabbath year. They broke the covenant with God. And God said this, if you will not let the land rest, I will make the land rest. And so for 490 years, they were breaking the covenant. They were breaking the Sabbath. And so God said, I've had it. I've had it with your Worshiping idols, which is forcing you to break the covenant with God, which is showing the world you are not in covenant with me. That mark is not in your life. 
And so God had Babylon come and took those Sabbath years over those 490 years, and so they were in Babylon for 70 years. Now, I'm not a mathematician, but if you take 7 times 70, you get about 490 is what the way I think the math works out. After, so they were in Babylon, the Scripture says, so that the land could rest, the land could enjoy its Sabbaths. Once the exile was done, the people of God were allowed to come back to the land, and we read in Nehemiah, immediately they started breaking the, the Sabbath again. And Nehemiah says, what is wrong with you people? We just got out of slavery for 70 years for this. You've got to stop it. And so they, they, began, to, they began to stop breaking the covenant. And the religious leaders said, man, we got to do something so we don't go into slavery again. We have got to protect the Sabbath. And it became very, very important to people. If you were to read 1 Maccabees, now 1 Maccabees is not the word of God. I want to make sure. It might have some accurate history in the book of 1 Maccabees. It's an interesting book, but it's not the Word of God. It's not the Bible. If you were to read it, there is an account that there were people of God. When Antiochus Epiphanes came in to conquer Israel, there were people who said, we will not fight because it's the Sabbath, and Antiochus Epiphanes destroyed them. They would rather die then break the Sabbath. See, their, their mind had shifted. And the religious leader said, what do we have to do to make sure that the Sabbath is safe? Here's the Sabbath. What we need to do is create this wall around the Sabbath so no one accidentally breaks the Sabbath and then we go back into captivity. So they read the law and it said, you can't do work on, sun, uh, on Sabbath. And they said... What does work mean? It says you can't travel on the Sabbath. And they said, well, how far is traveling? You can't carry a load on the Sabbath. How, how much is a load? So we need to start defining these, the religious leaders said. And so what we find is this crazy set of rules that they started making about the Sabbath. So no one would accidentally break the Sabbath. So they said a Sabbath's journey is 3,000 feet. Of course, they use cubits or whatever, but that's about a half a mile. Unless you have food somewhere within that 3,000-foot radius, and that's then an extension of your home, so you can go another 3,000 feet. They said, you, you, can't, you can't carry a load, so you could wear a jacket, but you couldn't carry your jacket. That's a load, Right? They said you can't move a chair. John MacArthur says that it, you couldn't move a chair because that might make furrows in the ground, and that's a lot like plowing, right? That's work. You can't do that. You can't take a bath on, on the Sabbath because water may spill out and land on the floor, and then you have to wipe it up, and that's a lot like washing that floor. That's work. They made 39 categories of what work is that you cannot do on the Sabbath. They said, we're going to build this wall around the Sabbath so no one can ever break the Sabbath. But the problem was the wall became law, at least in the religious leader's eyes. 
And so the Sabbath becomes very important. They build this wall, and then Jesus and his disciples walk by a field. Right? How long have they been walking? I don't know. I don't know if they were in their Sabbath day journey. I don't know what it was. And they were hungry. And the law says if you go by a field, you can take some grain off because they left that for the needy. And so they pick some grain off and they shuck that, the husks off that and pop that grain in their mouth. And the Pharisees said they're harvesting, they're reaping, they're working, they're covenant breakers. They don't live according to God's word. They don't trust God to take care of them. And Jesus was right there with them. And so they were accusing Jesus as well as being a covenant breaker. And that means he could no way be the Messiah. That's the accusation. He broke the Sabbath, and the Sabbath was incredibly important to these people. But Jesus didn't break the Sabbath. He didn't break the law. In fact, what we see in our story, if we continue on, is Jesus' rejection of their ritual. Jesus didn't break the Sabbath. What he did was break their rules, their rituals. The rituals the Pharisees inscribed had constructed, they were a terrible burden on people, right? You can't do this. You can do this. There was someone always watching. That looks like work. You can't do that. You know, and... And it was just a burden on people. And that's why the last thing we hear Jesus say before this verse, before this section, is Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Sabbath, right? Jesus says, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, And learn from me, he said, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find Sabbath, right? You'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, I will give you the rest your souls are looking for. And then we hear the story about how they accuse him of not resting. And he says, I'm not breaking the Sabbath. I'm breaking the ritual." The ritual was heavy on people. It wearied people. And Jesus was showing them his way is easy. His burden is light. And he does this by putting priorities in place. He tells two illustrations from from Israel's past that teach something. And the first illustration he uses teaches us that human need takes precedence over ritual. Human need takes precedence over over ritual. Look in verse 3 and 4. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry, he and his companions? How he entered the house of God, and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone. Jesus takes a story that's found in 1 Samuel 21, 1 through 6. David is running for his life because Saul is wanting to kill him because David is the anointed king of Israel and Saul doesn't want to give that up. He's been rejected by God and he's holding on to his power. David and his men are running for their lives. They have not had time to stop and make food. They are just trying to make it. They're exhausted. 
They might not be able to go much further. And David sees the temple. He goes and he talks to Ahimelech, the priest. And he says, you have to give me whatever bread you can find. And the priest looks around the temple and he says, all I've got is the table of showbread. This was, this was consecrated bread that was in the holy place right before you entered the holy of holies. And there were 12 loaves that represented the 12 loaves of Israel. And the priests were to make these loaves once a week. Guess what day? The Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, they were to replace this old bread with new bread. And so he had these 12 loaves. And the law says in Leviticus 24, 5 through 9, that the priests were to eat that bread And the priests alone were to eat that bread. But the anointed king had a need. And the priest said, take it. And his men were able to eat and continue on. Because human need takes precedence over ritual. Jesus uses this story to say David was not guilty Because human need takes precedence over ritual. Jesus and his disciples had no home. They were were itinerant pastors, so to speak. They just wandered to the next city, wherever the Lord was leading them. And they had been wandering. The text seems to indicate it's not like they were just a little peckish. They were probably needing some sustenance. And the law says they could take some grain. They took some grain and they ate it. Not to mention the fact that Jesus was here to fulfill the greatest human need of salvation. Whatever he did, it was to address the human need that we need. Spiritual life, forgiveness, redemption. That's what he came for. And human need takes precedence over ritual. He made the point here that Jesus wasn't breaking the law. He was breaking their their petty rituals. And those can be broken because of compassion. The compassion over human need is more important than their rules. He showed them that human need takes precedence over ritual. Then he tells them another story that show them that necessary work takes precedence over ritual. Look in verse 5. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? Jesus makes the point that every priest serving on the Sabbath is actually breaking the law of the Sabbath. Not really, but he's kind of making that point. Numbers 28, 9 through 10 said the priests did all the work that needed to be done, but on the Sabbath, they actually had more work to do, which means on the Sabbath, they were busier than what they would throughout the rest of the week. And so the priests were not guilty of breaking the law because their work was done for the temple. It was so important for the worship of God that the priests were exempted from the law of Sabbath. Their work was necessary for the spiritual health 
of the, the Israel and their relationship with God. And Jesus is saying that his work was necessary because it was. It was the most necessary work that ever needed to be done. He's like, if the priests are exempted because they're doing necessary work, how much more is the Son of God's work necessary and thus not subject to the Sabbath law? That's the point he is making. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world was doing a greater work, right, than the the priests in the temple. Now make sure you understand what this text is not saying, okay, and what it is saying. Jesus is not saying that if we have a good enough reason, we can live in rebellion to God's word. That's not what he's saying, right? Because we might go away saying, ooh, I've got a human need, and so I'm not going to listen to the word of God. That's not what this is saying. If we think that, we've missed the point. What this text is teaching is that Jesus' work is the greatest work that ever needed to be done. And so he was exempt. There was a human need that only Jesus could fulfill. And his work was necessary for that to get done. And if he didn't do it, we would be lost in our sin. And so, yes, he could break their petty Sabbath rules. And he was exempt from the law of the Sabbath. You may have heard this poem before, but it speaks to our needs. Someone, someone once said this, if our greatest need had been an inform- information, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us a savior. See, no matter how you evaluated your life, how you examined your situation, your greatest need is spiritual. It's always been spiritual. That doesn't mean you have great, that does not mean that you don't have great spirit or physical needs. But it does mean that the greater work must be done in your life, and that greater work is spiritual. The greater work must be done by Jesus. So has he done the greater work in your life? Have you trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and eternal life? Are you trusting in his work or are you trusting in your work? Because here is the point of this whole text Jesus is the rest. That's how he finishes. If you're trying to work to impress the Lord, to gain salvation, to keep your salvation, and you're working and you're trying and it's heavy and burdensome, the good news is Jesus is the rest. He is the Sabbath. The religious leaders were trying to make sure they protected the day of rest and all the time 
the rest was standing in front of them. The fulfillment of the Sabbath was right there. So he shows this first, that he is the rest, by proclaiming that Jesus is greater than the temple. Look in verse 6. But I say to you that something greater than the temple is here. Jesus says something greater than the temple is standing right before you. When Solomon had built his temple, and it was a glorious thing, one of the wonders of the world was Solomon's temple. He had, he had built this temple, and he was dedicating the temple. He said something amazing in Second Chronicles 6.18. He said this, But will God indeed dwell with mankind on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house which I have built? It was a ridiculous notion that, that God could come ha- somehow dwell in this house. He, he couldn't be contained in this house. How in the world could God dwell with his people? Solomon thought it was a ridiculous notion. But listen, God's, God's plan has always been to dwell with his people. That is the purpose of redemption. In the Garden of Eden, God walked with Adam and Eve. And our sin made that impossible. He could not stand in our presence anymore. We couldn't stand in his presence anymore because our sin broke that fellowship. So God had another plan and he said, what I'll do is I'll make this temple, I'll have them make this temple so I can dwell with them in a way. Kind of pointing them to their greater need of God dwelling with them. And so there was a pillar of fire by day when they built the tabernacle, right? Pillar of fire by day, pillar of smoke by day, pillar of fire by night. So there was a visible representation. God is dwelling there in the tabernacle. And then they made the temple and God dwelt with his people in a way. And then God said, let me show you my plan. And Jesus came. And it says in John 1.14, But the word of God, look what it says. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, the glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Here Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, truly did dwell among us. And it was not just a little bit of God. Colossians 2.19 says, all of God. It says, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So when Jesus said something greater than the temple is here, he's saying, God's dwelling with you in Christ, as opposed to this kind of halfway that he does in the temple. Something greater is here. And that greater was Emmanuel, right? God with us. So if the priests were allowed to work in the temple, the one who was greater than the temple, where God was truly dwelling in the flesh, surely he would be allowed to work. Because that work that the disciples were doing was in Christ's name for the glory of the Father. 
See, this claim to be greater than the temple, it was an outright claim that Jesus was the Messiah. I'm not breaking any, any law of God. Instead, I am the Messiah. He proclaimed he is greater than the temple, and then he adds to that, he says, Jesus, in essence, he says, Jesus requires more than ritual. Look in verse 7. If you had known what this means, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice, you would have not, you would not have condemned the innocents. See, the Pharisees accused Jesus of, of breaking the Sabbath which is a capital offense. If they could have in the Roman society, they would have killed him. Here's, here's a spoiler alert. They did, right? They were doing whatever they could to kill him, and they said, he broke the Sabbath. That's a capital offense. Let's kill him. And Jesus says, I look at the Pharisees, and I see a greater offense they don't have mercy. They don't have compassion on others. They're finding guilt where God found innocence. God requires more than ritual. He quotes Hosea 6.6 6 here. I desire compassion and not a sacrifice. And really, in quoting that, he's showing that the one who gave the command of the Sabbath is full of compassion and mercy and grace. And the Sabbath should be seen in light of that. It is not their harsh wall of laws that keep people burdened down so they cannot accidentally break the Sabbath. God is a God of mercy and grace, long-suffering, loving-kindness. You can read the, the Old Testament uh, descriptions of him. And they're all good, holy, and kind. Jesus is declaring that people who are needy, who pluck a few grains to stay alive, they're innocent. They're not innocent of breaking the Sabbath. He's not making a bold proclamation that they don't need Jesus' forgiveness. We all need Jesus' forgiveness. He's just simply saying they're not breaking the Sabbath. Jesus wants more than ritual. We don't come to church to check off a box. I went to church on Sunday. God must be pleased with me on that. I read my Bible for 30 minutes and I prayed for 15. Then me and God are good. I'm not going to go to 45 because that doesn't get me anything with the Lord, right? That doesn't get me more heaven. So I'm going to do whatever the minimal amount. I'm going to do all this work. And what it is is we're trusting in our work for our relationship with the Lord. And that's ritual. We might as well be building the wall around the Sabbath and say, you got to walk, walk 3,000 feet and not a foot more. That's, and, God, and God says, I want more than ritual. I want mercy and compassion. I, I, I want your heart is what he's saying. Jesus is greater than the temple, and Jesus requires compassion. Those are all declarations that are summed up here at the end in verse 8. He says, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Some people put that section with the next one. I believe it's the finish of this one. 
The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. I think it goes with these verses, 1 through 8. And he's simply saying, I am the Messiah. Son of Man is a title for the Messiah found in Daniel. And he's saying, I am the Son of Man. And that means the Sabbath is not Lord of me. I am Lord of the Sabbath. That's what Jesus said. And you know what? The Lord of the Sabbath, he's the one who gets to determine what's acceptable on the Sabbath and what's not acceptable. (laughs) He's the one who gets to say, this is work, this is not work. Who has the right to declare what's forbidden on the Sabbath? Jesus does, because he's Lord of the Sabbath. Some of you might remember the 1981 movie, Chariots of Fire. True story about two Olympic runners. We kind of focus on the one. It's really two Olympic runners, one Jewish, one Christian. And it shows their viewpoints about their running, their worldview about what what running means to them. And one of those runners was Eric Liddell, who was a devout believer in Jesus. He's ready to go onto the mission field to tell the world about Jesus. But the 1924 Paris Olympics came and he needed to run. And so he was going to compete in the 200 meter dash at the Paris Olympics in 1924 and found out his race was going to be on a Sunday. And he said, I can't run because he said, I'll break the fourth commandment of breaking the Sabbath day. Now, it's an amazing stand of conviction, and it becomes a testimony to the faith of Eric Liddell that he placed the Lord above everything else, his running, his reputation, his fame, everything else, he put the Lord first. But here's the thing about that story, guys. Eric Liddell did not have to fulfill the Sabbath. Jesus did. Okay? Here's to, here, let me put it more specific. Sunday is not the Sabbath, and Sabbath is not Sunday. Sabbath is the end of the week. It is not a day of religious activity. It is a day of rest. You know what? Jesus was in the ground on Sabbath. It's a day of sorrow. Sunday is the beginning of the week. Sunday is called the Lord's Day in Scripture. It's a day of worship and Christian fellowship. You know what happened on Sunday, right? Jesus was out of the ground on Sunday. It's a day of celebration. Don't have to recognize the Sabbath. Sunday is not Sabbath. Jesus fulfilled our Sabbath. Don't get me wrong. You can go back when I preach through the Ten Commandments and I talk about what rest means. We are built to rest. If God said, I'm going to have a pattern of rest in my life, then maybe you're not greater than God. And maybe you should rest as well. That's that's the lesson of the Sabbath. But Sunday is not the Sabbath. We are not keeping the fourth commandment on Sunday because we can't keep the commandments, guys. Jesus did. 
He is the fulfillment of the Sabbath day. And that's good news. We can rest in that. We can truly enjoy Sabbath for that. In fact, Hebrews 4, 9 through 11 says this, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience which is mentioned earlier in chapter 4. It is important to worship on Sunday. Don't get me wrong. Scripture says, don't forsake gathering yourselves together. It's important to do. But Sunday isn't the Sabbath. We're not, we're not somehow keeping the Ten Commandments and look how good we are by fulfilling the commandments by showing up to church. We're worshiping God. That's why we gather together. And if we did it on a Thursday night, woo, we'd have the same party. We would be glorifying God. We just do it on Sunday because it is, it's kind of traditional how we do that on Sunday. It is the Lord's day. It's the day of resurrection. We don't celebrate the Sabbath. We celebrate the Lord's day because Jesus is our Sabbath. That's why we celebrate. We get rest in our Savior. We rest from our works because the works that he did on the cross. I'm going to have you bow your heads and think through this. Maybe today you're still burdened with, with the idea of good works. Good works are good. They are things we are supposed to do in the Lord, but they don't earn our salvation. They don't keep our salvation. They don't make us in a better position with God than another believer. We rest from our works in Jesus. That's why he could say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, real rest. Not, not the rituals that the, that the Pharisee said our Sabbath rest, which was actually a burdensome lifestyle, but the rest that Jesus provides. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Come to him today. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have given us a real Sabbath in Jesus, that we can rest. We can rest from our works. And that even after we come to know you, any good thing we do is your work in us through the Holy Spirit. We're not manufacturing good works. We're just allowing you to do more through us. Help us be that kind of people. For the believer here who is, who is worried, worried about their relationship with you. They've trusted in Christ. They believe Christ died for their sins. They know that they are, they are in relationship with you, but they're worried because they don't do enough or they don't pray enough or they don't know enough of the Bible or they don't, they, they, they're, they're burdened with this works. God, free them from that today and let them find Sabbath in Jesus.
God, for the, believe, the unbeliever, someone who doesn't know Christ today, they've never trusted in you. But they think, at the end, when I die, I hope I have enough good works to outdo my bad works. God, there is not enough good works. That is the heavy, burdensome ritual that the Pharisees tried to pass off as your law. God, let that person find Jesus today. Let them know that rest, how good it is to know my salvation is not dependent upon me. Thank you, Jesus. But God, it is all dependent upon Christ's work on the cross, taking my sin, being my substitute, and dying for me, rising from the dead, ascending into heaven, and being Lord of all. God, I thank you for that salvation you provided. Speak to us now and move us in a way that only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Staying Connected podcast, the preaching ministry of Pastor Roland Kennison from Rosemont Baptist Church in Montrose, Colorado. We pray the Lord will use this sermon to help you in your life and ministry. If you found this podcast helpful, would you consider contributing to our ministry? You can give online at www.rosemontbaptist.org forward slash give. If you live in Western Colorado or you're visiting the area, we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning. Our services start at 1045 a.m. You can also watch our worship service live through our website at rosemontbaptist.org. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.